from Studio X at the brand new KNKX Seattle Studios overlooking Elliott Bay. I'm Abe Beeson with an exclusive KNKX studio session performance with the Emmett Cohen Trio. Recently named Pianist of the Year by the Jazz Journalists of America, Mr. Cohen's been a good friend of the station since his first session in 2018, returning the next year and performing a virtual session with Christian McBride's Tip City Trio in 2021. Impressively, Cohen made the very most of the pandemic closures with streaming videos of concerts in its New York living room, featuring some of that city's top musicians. These live at Emmett's Place performances have been viewed millions of times. Now back on the road, Emmett Cohen celebrating his album last year, his 10th release, Uptown in Orbit, and also looking forward to tours of Canada and Europe and another album on the horizon. Featuring Philip Norris and Kyle Poole at the bass and drums, here's the Emmett Cohen Trio with the Surrey with the Fringe on top.
Brian Grafton. So. That was, uh, of course, from the musical Oklahoma called Surrey with the Fringe on Top. This is an original composition called Spilling the Tea. Thank you. 
Emmett, it's great to have you back in Seattle and great to have you in our new Studio X here at KNKX. Um, there have been a lot of changes in the world here at the radio station and in your life as well. We haven't seen you in person at the radio station since pre-pandemic uh, when you had short hair. And uh, uh, this is, I think, the fourth bass player we've seen you with as well, with studio sessions from Russell Hall to Yasushi Nakamura. You were with Christian McBride's Tip City. Tell us a little bit about Philip Norris. Wow, well, he's in good company with those other three uh, bassists. Um, Phil is, well, first of all, it's great to be back, and thank you for having us, Abe. It's always wonderful to speak with you and appreciate all the work you've done during the pandemic to bring joy to people's lives uh, through the radio and on the airwaves. You know, the radio is one of the only things we did have in that time that was uh, kind of live and, and, and in the moment. And, um, and it's always great to be here in KNKX, tremendous family of musicians. And I think people all over the world have seen these videos. So, you know, it's wonderful to come in and, and, and lay something down for you guys with Kyle Poole and Philip Norris. And I'll tell you about Philip Norris. He comes from Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, he's just uh, ascending into the in, into the premier class of working bass players in, in the world. He's been on, on the last uh, two months uh, barely a day off a uh, week in, in Europe with Wynton Marsalis, a couple weeks in South America with Joshua Redman. He was in Seattle two weeks ago with David Sanborn. Um, and uh, he's, of course, out here with us and playing with his man, Julius Rodriguez, on his one free day <laughs> in New York uh, at the Blue Note. Um, and, you know, he's just doing tremendous things. And I think, uh, you know, more more than just uh, a, a wonderful bass player, he's he's also salt-of-the-earth human being. And uh, when you play with someone who's who's for real, in the life aspect, when it gets to the music, it's it's real there too. And I think uh, no matter what style of jazz or what style of music it is, I think pe people have realized that, that Philip Norris is the, is the next great bass player of our time. Yeah, he's one to watch. Um, of course, your friend Kyle Poole has been a part of your band for years and years, um, and a neighbor of yours in New York, and part of uh, was one of the big changes you had um, during the pandemic, live from Emmett's place. Um, can you tell us how that first started going? Sure. So we were in New York and we got a call from this promoter named Derek Kwan. And uh, he's, he's, he helped, helped went and start Jazz at Lincoln Center back in the day. He's been involved in jazz for, you know, forever and loved the music. And he called me and he said, hey, man, you guys were supposed to play March 22nd at, uh, at University of Kansas, where he is the uh, artistic director, Lawrence, Kansas. And he said, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to do this gig, but we want to just give you the full fee for, uh, because we want to support musicians. We know what a hard time it's going to to be. I said, damn, two thousand dollars to to just do something from the from the from the living room. More of that. I said, uh, Russell, you know, I was like, Russell, Kyle, you want to do this? I said, yeah, sure. We got nothing going on. I said, well, since we're getting paid that much, we 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 should probably put on a suit and tie. So we put on suit and tie and and. <laughs> And played that first gig on an iPhone, uh, going live on Facebook, leaned against a stack of books, and uh, you know just tried to just try to do something where we connected with people on the airwaves, and we were talking to people and reading the comments, and just tried to try to make it about coming together, and um, you know it was successful uh, in that it got forty thousand views or something like that, and also that people seemed to really, you know, it seemed to distract them or take them out of of, of the hardship for and the uncertainty in that time for, for just a moment. So we said, when should we do this again? And it ended up being the following week. And we have done 108 of those um, as of this recording. 
And um, one of the really, uh, I think, exciting things about it was not only were jazz fans excited to see some some live music, even if it was on the on the laptop somewhere from New York, um, you were also bringing together the musicians of New York to come together and providing the community that I, I know that a lot of musicians it really was painful for them to to lose the, the the hang and just be able to be with their friends. Yeah, and the interesting thing was that we were based in Harlem. And I think Harlem has a really intensely high concentration of, of artists, musicians, um, thinkers, uh, civil rights activists, you know, historically since the roaring 20s of last century. And so we were doing this rent party um, and started inviting, you know, people in the community. And it was like almost like during Prohibition when people weren't allowed to drink or gather. Uh, then here we are 100 years later, we're not allowed to gather and, and get together in public spaces and ended up, you know, having our own thing. And I think a lot of the musicians said when they came, it was the first time they played with me, uh, other musicians in person in six or eight months or something like that and um, to be able to pay them to do it um you know it was it was a um, a necessary thing at the time uh now uh you're able to do i think maybe one a month of live at emmett's place because you're busy and back out and playing in clubs and touring and how the, has that been what was your and first the neighbors tour? hate it and, and the, the neighbors, neighbors hate it. it. <laughs> so between those two reasons <laughs> that's the that's the, that's the most frequently asked question how do the neighbors feel about the uh about the about the they're more patient chain. than most, I would guess. Um, yeah, you know they, they understand, but <laughs> but they don't like it. But getting out on the road, a relief to them, and I'm sure a relief to you. What, do you remember your first tour, your first time leaving town again? Yeah, we uh, we have an, an agent, um, uh, kind of a, a, a slick Italian man named Luigi. He called me up and he said uh, he and he does stuff in in Europe. And Luigi said, "Hey, man." Uh, Italy just passed a, a temporary allowance for people to come in to Italy for five days and you have to leave within five days of getting there. He's like, I don't understand this rule. It doesn't really make any sense, but we should take advantage of the loophole if you want and you feel comfortable. So all we have to do is go to Italy, play a couple shows there, say we'll leave uh, within five days, which we've got this gig in Vienna, Austria. We'll show them the contract. You know, everything's planned out. I said, okay, sounds good. And, you know, it was a huge risk. We could have been turned away at the border uh, and sent back to New York or, you know, whatever. But but we were we were in that moment of, of trying to see if we could bring the music to people, because uh, that's very important to us. And so we ended up doing that first tour in Europe. I think it was October, November 2020. And we were kind of in Europe on the ground, driving to all the places because we didn't want to fly uh, within the country. So we were doing 10-hour drives uh, to get to the next gig and stuff like that. So uh, that, that, was a, that was like the first time getting back. And everyone was outdoors, and we had masks on. And um, it, was, it, was, it was a special time of like figuring out, OK, how do we get through this? And uh, you're uh, going to be leaving Seattle and heading off to tour all the great Canadian jazz festivals and then off back to Europe again um, with a couple of recent trio albums in your back pocket. And I wonder if the uh, Master Series is still ongoing. You've done some great records with the legends of jazz like Benny Golson and Ron Carter and others. And I think maybe a Houston person coming up. I know. I've been leaking some... <laughs> Uh, some some information on on Instagram and Facebook and social media and stuff about that. Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know, there's a, a a series I have ongoing called Masters Legacy Series, and we've done uh, four four records. And the the CD the the, the series is really a a sequence of of records 
um, live performances and interviews. And so the live aspect is a big part of what the Masters Legacy series is, but it's basically about bringing the youngest generation, our, our generation, close to the jazz master, the oldest generation, and trying to, to, to provide a forum for the interaction and see what happens both ways, not just like mentor to mentee, but also the affirmation and the vitality and and um, and all that that gets passed up to, to the older generation. And we forged a fantastic relationship with a uh, 88 year old uh, jazz musician and 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 soulful human being, Houston person. And he's been everywhere and done everything and played with everyone. And we have this uh, project that we've been playing with him for quite some time. And we went to Van Gelder's recording studio. Uh, Rudy Van Gelder's in Englewood, New Jersey, which is one of the historic uh, places to record. I had never been there. Wow. Houston's recorded like 50 albums <laughs> there, and uh, we, we, yeah, we, we did a record date there, so that should should be out um, in any any time in this fourth uh, fourth quarter coming up. So definitely look out for it. Yeah, that's got to be a powerful phrase. I'm with Houston person, so I'm coming in. Um, uh, Emmett, I do a lot of uh, work with uh, school of jazz kids, uh, high school jazz kids, and I'm always asking them, who's your favorite modern musician? Because a lot of them play some of the classic jazz and big band stuff, and one of their favorite modern musicians is Emmett Cohen, which is one of my favorite answers, because I, I, I really appreciate the way you carry a lot of the jazz tradition in your sound, and yet it's still very modern. I wonder if you can talk about how you balance that. Well, it's funny to, to realize our market segment, first of all, is like, it's it's you know, 60 to 80 year olds, and, and then and then 15 to 25 year olds, <laughs> people that have like already had a family and their children are out of the nest, and then and then now and now jazz students who have the time to kind of like watch us on YouTube and stuff. Um, so that's funny that you say that, uh, but it's uh, you know, I mean, art is forever modern, I think, yeah. and there's a lot of ways that we have learned to to separate and and. Um, segregate all the things that go on. Uh, but really, you know, when you think about Bud Powell or Art Tatum or Louis Armstrong or Miles Davis or Coltrane or, or any of the, the true geniuses um, of, of music, you realize that what they're doing is, is way more modern than anything that, that, that is going on now. Um, you know, in, in, a, in a way, it's like, you know, you're not gonna find a painter now that's out painting Picasso. It just doesn't happen like that. Um, you know, someone can do something different and someone can be influenced by them and, and, and move it forward in, in their way. But I think coming to that realization um, with my group of friends like Kyle Poole and Philip Norris and, and Russell Hall, Evan Sherman and Yasushi Nakamura, Brian Carter, Joe Saylor, Benny Benack, Ruben Fox, Michael Mwenzo, Veronica Swift, Samara Joy. You know, these are musicians and I only named just a handful of them. <laughs> but you can, and you can see, you know, all the people that we've had on the show uh, those are people that generally feel the same the same way as we do. It's less about deciding should we play this modern music or old music. It's like no, we're just going to play what we love, and mm. we're gonna we're gonna incorporate um, everything that's that that we hear and that that means something to us. We're gonna we're gonna make that part of what we do and try to use that to improvise, try to use that to play together, and try to use that to to affect and uplift people who come to hear us play. Yeah. And you said something uh, interesting in there where you're talking about kids are finding you online. A lot of your music live at Emmett's place. I mean, it's not an album, but it might as well be an album. That's content. That's Jeff's performances, recordings that are that are just as vital as a record that you might get from the, the 50s or the 70s or something. And I wonder if that affects the way you're thinking about recording music and making records. I think there are just many ways to release to release uh, music these days. And we're always looking for 
new creative ways to just reach audience members and touch them. And I think that's, that's, that's the most important thing. So now we, we, you know, we, back in the day, there was only vinyl records and they had to print, um, <laughs> you know, you had to print vinyls. And if you wanted to hear a certain song, you had to go find that record. I mean, I didn't live in that time. I lived in the, in, I, I came up in the Napster time, um, <laughs> where, where, uh, where, you know, you would try to illegally pirate something that you that you heard about, or you know, I would type a search in, and it would, you know, I, I remember like you know typing Herbie Hancock, and I found like some rare tracks of him playing duo with Oscar Peterson, you know, and like just like I thought I was like on a landmine of 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 like never heard before concerts that people bootleg. Um, and now it's like YouTube. There's more stuff on YouTube of your favorite artists than you'd ever be able to watch in your entire life. And and so now it's more about like filtering. Okay, like how do we find the the the, the right stuff? Um, so you know, music is just omnipresent everywhere, and we release little things on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, and um, and you know, TikTok is one of the most uh, uh, fertile places for discovering new artists. Um, I'm not a total expert at TikTok. <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, people release music on there and, and, uh, and, but I think nothing will ever replace a statement of, of a full album. You go into a studio, you work hard, the order of the record. And if people have the time and the energy and the patience, they'll put that on and listen to it, um, complete. Um, but you know, it's a different time where we also have to think about, uh, which is the single from the record and does this stand alone and can someone just listen to this one track and does it make sense? And so there are other things to consider as, as, as the time has, has evolved, but I try to just, you know, come come to everything uh, from a point of, you know, let's do the best we can on this specific output. Well, we look forward to your future records, your future recordings, your future Live from Emmett's Place uh, episodes, and thank you so much for swinging by the station on your trip to Seattle. Okay, thanks so much, Abe. Thanks so much to Emmett Cohen and his trio with Philip Norris and Kyle Poole at the bass and drums. You'll find Cohen leading three different trio sessions in our studio archives, as well as the performance with bassist Christian McBride's Tip City. Thanks to Studio X engineers Brian Moynihan and Mo Provencher, uh, video producer Parker Blom. Thanks to promotions director Brenda Goldstein-Young and all of you listening in. Find our studio session archives at knkx.org with more content on our YouTube channel. I'm Abe Beeson. Thanks for listening.